We are starting a new series this week, and it's in the letter of 1 John. And so what I like to do is kind of lay some groundwork for that first week. I promise this is going to be a pretty short sermon, uh, because again, it's just kind of an intro into where we're going, what we're going to be doing, um, and kind of kind of set the tone for what 1 John is, is going to introduce to us as, as a church, as, as a letter. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to kind of launch right into this. God, we want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you, Lord, that you love us beyond what we can ever imagine. I want to thank you for Jesus, God, for the forgiveness of our sin. I want to thank you for your word and that you've caused this word to be written and you've preserved it over thousands of years. And it speaks to us, the church today, just like it did when it was originally written. And Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. First John is a series of letters by a guy named John, and he wrote three of them. First John, and he called, and he's very creative because he named the second one Second John, and then he went off the hook and said Third John. Now, I don't know if he gave them those names, but that, that's the, what we have them in the Bible as. And we're going to spend some time in First John, and it was written during um, during troubling times. Not only for the church, but culturally, you can imagine that things begin to shift around 80, 90 AD. And so there's troubling times happening, especially within the new church. Because what's happening is there began to have a group of people in the church, in churches. First John has written to not just a particular church or a particular community, but it was to be circulated around. And so he writes this, there's, there's a group of people that began to push against theology in the way that the gospel should be lived out. They began to introduce a new theology. They began to introduce a a new teaching, if you will. And they said that, that this new teaching has to be lived out in a certain way. And so they began to depart from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And two of the main things that they began to to infiltrate the church with, to teach the church with, was they denied that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They said he was not the Messiah. He was not the Son of God who came to earth in the flesh for to save humanity. And in fact, they would even go on to say, the second thing they said, that his death on the cross is not needed to forgive sin. And so you can see how this this gospel, this new teaching, pushes against the truth of what the church was established on. That Jesus is the Messiah and that his death on the cross was necessary so that we could be forgiven from our sin. And so they they began to huddle up. There was a few churches that started to have this movement and they left the church, the churches. And they began to kind of come together as a group. And they began to establish teachers and preachers. And they would start sending these teachers and preachers out to to other churches to try to convince them that the gospel that they were teaching was the truth. That this is the truth. That Jesus stuff, he's the son of God. That's not true. That that there's there's a different truth out there. That you don't need the cross to be forgiven or to be reconciled with God. And the plan was to try to get people to win people to their way 
of thinking. Now you can imagine what this must have done to the church. The church is new. This letter of 1 John was written between, they say, 85 or 90 AD. The church was very, very new. And so people within the churches, they started, they started to become confused. And they began to think. And they, and they thought maybe, maybe are, we, are we not experiencing the, the life that, we're, that we were called to live? Are we, are we not saved? Do, are we lacking eternal life? Because of all these questions and all this false teaching that began to, to surface. They began to question the churches, this, this Jesus. Have we been duped into believing he is someone who he isn't? And you can see how dangerous this type of thing can be when it finds its way into a church. These false teachers went on to say that they, they, have, uh, they had this anointing of the Spirit. And I do believe they did have an anointing of a spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit would never speak against Christ being Messiah or needing to die on the cross. But they were anointed by a spirit, and so the spirit had revealed to them some deeper new truth. And so again, the people in the churches were left scratching their head. Wait, are we missing an anointing? Are we missing being spoken to by the spirit? And so all of this confusion sets in. And people, people are in real danger, real danger of walking away from the truth of the gospel. And so John, he writes this letter. And he's not writing to really, he's not writing to, to correct anything. He's not writing to, to kind of correct doctrine. What he is writing to do is to say this. What these people are teaching you is false. What these people are teaching you is a lie. And so this is where we get 1 John. This is the historical context of what this, where this, uh, how this letter came about. Now in saying that, as we kind of wrestle with it and as you read these letters, sometimes his letter is a little difficult to understand. Sometimes it's, it's a little circular in its motion. See, the, the, the message is pretty simple, but the way he writes... He's, he's, he's probably a very old man by now, and he's a, little, he's a little scattered in his thought process. So he'll begin to write something, and he'll begin to kind of unpack a thought or an idea. But then it seems like something jumps into his head, another thought or idea pops into his head, and then he just kind of writes that down too. And then somehow he circles around back to his original idea. So sometimes this letter can feel very disjointed or, or just doesn't have a real good flow to it. But what's clear in this letter, in this epistle, is that he is speaking to the position of Jesus' followers in the world in which they live. And he is speaking to who Christ is. Now this is a short, uh, a short letter. It, it's, it's written as a letter. We divide it up into chapters. It's only five short chapters. And many times when you look at these, these shorter books, you can, you can kind of whittle down and, and kind of find a, a verse that's in there that will have a, that, will, that can be and act as the anchor, as the foundation of what the, what the writer really wants to communicate to the people. And I believe there's, there's a few of them in 1 John, but, but I really wanted to land on just one this morning. And we're going to just talk about this one verse because I do believe it's, it's the anchor, the foundation of 
who we are, what the world is, and what John is trying to communicate to this church. And so, Will, if you could put that. It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are children of God and that the world is under the control of the evil one. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So what does that mean for us? What are our possibilities? What are the realities that, that we have to face and how do we, how do we face them? How are we to relate as Jesus followers to, to that kind of world under the control of the evil one? Remember, John is addressing people that are in very difficult times. They're living in hard times. And, and not just in the church where, where there's false teaching has come in and people are trying to lead other people astray into something that is not of Christ, but also, also in, in the culture. There's, there's other gods that are being worshipped around them and trying to gain people, pull people into the worship of other gods. And then there's the worship of, of um, cultural gods. The god of money, the god of power, the god of influence. Those are all taking place in this, during this time that John is writing to these people. And so we have, we have people trying to get people out of the truth of Christ. We have the worship of other gods, false gods. And we just have, just have the just, you know, money, greed, power, wealth, all just kind of mixing around. And so thousands of years later, as I think about this and I read this, it sounds all too strangely familiar to me. You know, as we look back across history, if you study history whether it be church history or cultural history or the history of civilizations, you will find that the hearts of people have never really changed. The hearts of people have never really changed. We are confronting nothing new today in the human heart that wasn't confronted thousands of years ago and has been, has been being confronted for thousand years. We just have much more sophisticated ways of, of kind of carrying those things out. We have communication that's able, we're able to see those things play out in real time. But nothing has really changed. Ecclesiastes will tell us there's nothing new under the sun. And so this all should sound very familiar to us. This truth is consistently and constantly playing itself out through the pages of history. And John towards the end of his life, he's writing with urgency in his words because he wants people to know the truth of who Christ is and who they are. You know, we, we as Christians, we live in the same world everyone else lives in. We don't, we don't have a little island that we can all just kind of gather up on and hang out there and this is our Christian island and everything else is just not and so we are a melting pot in this world of, of different faiths, many different faiths. The Christian, the Muslim, the Hindu, the Jew, the atheist, the New Age, the Old Age, whatever other age you want to throw in there. But we all live in the same world. And in our, in our Western, in the United States, we all live in the same, under the same governments. And you can like it, you can not like it. I mean, 
whatever, but we all share the same cultural setting. We all are part of the same stream of history as it plays itself out. And so our current events today are very different from the current events that were taking place when John wrote this letter, but yet they're, they're, they're all the same because it's about people. And the people, we haven't changed. Our hearts haven't changed. And so John will write, well, what, is it, what does it look like for us, Jesus follower? What does it look like for us to engage this world? How do we adjust? How do we move through it? What's the difference between, what's, what's, what's the, what should it look like? How should we look different as followers of Christ from people who don't follow Christ? I believe that's where John is going to begin to, to kind of unpack for us in this letter. You know, when we, as, as human beings, when we enter into times of trouble or difficulty, when, when hard things happen to us, it, it could raise our level of anxiety. And that's, that's just natural. I know the scriptures tell us, don't be anxious for nothing. That's a pretty high bar. But, but the truth is that, that when, we, when things happen, when difficult things happen, it raises our level of anxiety. And during those times, what I have found is, is people can look very spiritual when, when it's hitting the fan. Because, because they, they, they immediately go and they pray. And they start talking all kinds of other, other God talk. And, and they go to the Bible to look for comfort and to look for answers. Why is this happening to me? And, and they go and, and, and they search the scriptures. For those answers. Now, the Bible will give us a firm foundation. But it's not going to do it through some some cheap psychology or through counsel or some self-help program. The, the, The Bible gives us a firm footing in life because it's the truth of the revelation of who God is. His character and His nature. That's what the Bible was written for, to reveal to us who God is. And yes, there are principles and harmonies and rhythms that we can walk in, but that's not primarily why this was written. It was written to reveal God, the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ, to us so we can better understand him. And it's, and it's from that place of knowing God. You see, I, and, I, and I might get in trouble for this, but... Let me figure out how to word this correctly. So, the Bible, when, you're, when, when, when you're up against the wall, the Bible doesn't tell you, well, you need to pray right away. I mean, I, I mean it doesn't say you shouldn't pray, but that's not the first thing. It says to think on and understand who God is. And it's from that place that we begin to pray. And I believe that if we can understand who God is, his character, his nature, and who we are, we know that we are children, who we are with him, then we will be, we will be less disappointed in our prayer because our prayer will come from a different posture within our hearts. God bless you. And so we engage this verse this morning which comes at the end of the letter. The end of the letter is kind of our beginning, our anchor. And there's a couple things that we have to see here. 
There's a couple things I want to point out, a couple truths that we need to take with us as we explore 1 John. And the first very simple truth is the first two words. We know. We know. We are sure. There is no doubt as a Jesus follower. There is not, or at least there should not be any state of uncertainty. We know who we are. We know what we possess. We do not walk in the darkness of doubt. We know John writes these letters to these, this letter, these two words he writes to the people that, 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 that it's, it's a claim, it's a certainty, it's a truth. We know, but there's always kind of a but. And he wouldn't have to write this unless there was something going wrong. For the people he's writing to, things have been kind of unclear. They've gotten, they've gotten foggy for them. They're uncertain of what they, they really know. And their story is our story, just like our story is their story. Because we start off by believing the truth. We believe in, the, we believe in Jesus Christ by faith. And we, and we grab a hold of this truth. But then, then things happen to us. Difficult things happen to us. Hard things. Broken things. And then we begin to, we begin to question our faith. We begin to question God. Well, how could you let this happen to me? And sometimes the truth no longer feels like the truth anymore. And we're confused, and we're broken, and we're not sure. And I'll say sometimes, if not all the time, God has never left us in those difficult times. But he walks with us. And that he wants to establish us in the truth so that we won't be shaken for the next time it happens. Because it always happens. And it always comes. We're going to find certain things in this letter, uh, certain truths that are being stated over and over and over again. And, and they're absolutes. And within these absolutes, there are things that are possible for us because we know. We know. And if, as, we, as we know these things and understand these truths and embrace these truths, we can begin to live and walk in them. John says, we know with all certainty. And what do we know with all certainty? That we are children of God. We know, Christian, Jesus follower, follower of the way, we know we are children of God. And yes, there are things that we should do as children of God. External things and and, 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 and rhythms that we enter into. But we know we are children of God. I was reading a book this week, and they quoted Dallas Willard, who is one of, uh, very, one of my favorite authors. And Dallas Willard wrote this about grace. He said, God is not opposed to our effort. Meaning God is not opposed to us trying to live uh, in obedience to the things that he's called us to. But he is opposed to our earning. And that is the story of grace. We can't earn anything from God because grace is the free gift, but he's not opposed to us living in a certain way. And so we Christians come together in the context of community. On Sunday mornings, we gather here to worship the living God, to encourage one another. And we try to live our lives from a different place, a selfless place of, of, of an interior transformation that's, being, that's taken place 
within our hearts, within our souls. We want to live differently than others. We want to live for others and not just for ourselves. We want to give of ourselves. We want to give of our time and our resources. Again, it's all about this response that we want, that we want to have because God is doing something in our interior lives. God is not disappointed in our effort. But he doesn't want us to think we have to earn. But we are so much more than just what we are on the outside. Or even even what God is doing on the inside. We are so much more than that because we are children of God. I don't know how I could hammer that into your heart and soul. You are a child of God. We are born of him. We partake in a very holistic way, meaning mind, body, and spirit in his divine nature. We are born of him, born of the spirit. The Holy Spirit of the living God dwells within each Jesus follower. And we're able to walk in that authority. We are able to push back the darkness in his authority because it lives within us. That's a Christian That is a follower of Jesus, a child of God. And the whole New Testament, I believe, is written from that perspective. You have to understand who you are. Child of God, who you are. You are related to him in a very intimate, personal, sacred, beautiful way. The very life and nature of Christ lives within you. And that's the promise that he gives us. And you could, you, could, you could set your life, bet your life on that promise. You possess the divine nature of Christ. We are not just hoping to be a Christian. Because of faith in the atoning work of Christ on the cross, it has happened to us. In spite of us, we know we are children of God. And so my question, just like my question was last week as we started the new year, do you know it? Do you believe it? Are you aware of it? Are you aware of this new nature? Are you aware of, like we said last week, that that you have been made new, that you are being renewed day by day, and you are being transformed into the likeness of Christ? You are a child of God. And this newness is given to us by faith, through faith, by grace, from Christ. It's a free gift so that no one can boast. And then we're told, also in this verse, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. kind of a scary thought, isn't it? It's not just the Middle East. It's not just some war-torn small country somewhere on the other side of the world. It's not in just South Sudan. For my, my politicians in the room, it's not just the conservatives. It's not just the liberals. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. And it doesn't matter how good things may look how things might be improving. Hey, unemployment's going down. Doesn't matter. The whole world 
is under the control of the evil one. Even when things seem to be getting better, the world is now and will always be until the end, until all the way back here, till the end, will always be under the control of the evil one until God returns, till Jesus returns and goes, enough, it's done, it is complete, and heaven crashes into earth, and we, his children, live with him forever. And the world will continue to be that way. It, it's, it's really not going to get better. Now, we can try to improve the world, but it's, this truth is never going to change until Jesus returns. And I'm, I'm often, I, um, I think it kind of funny sometimes when Christians are so surprised at the, what's taking place in the world. Oh my gosh, do you believe this is happening? Yes. It's in the Bible. And, and why are we so surprised? It, 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 if anything, the things that we are experiencing, the things that we're seeing on the news, the things that are taking place in the world, confirms the word of God. Why be surprised? I don't want anyone to be deluded into thinking that we're going to Christianize the United States. We're not. Because the United States is part of the world. And the world is under the control of the evil one. I'm not saying everybody's evil, that's, you know, and politicians, you know, 99.9% are, but not, not all of them. There's that one. Uh, um, uh, you know, but we're not going to Christianize it. That's Christ's job. When he returns, every knee will bow. Every knee at the coming and the returning of the Lord. But here's the thing. Just because that is the truth, we don't get to turn our backs on the world. We don't just to get to, we don't get to hole up and then just kind of close our doors and just kind of stay real safe in our little Christian bubble. We don't get to withdraw from it. And I believe that's what some of first, what John writes in this letter that we're called to push back against the darkness with the light of Christ. We might not be able to change a country, but we can change one person at a time by introducing them to the Lord, our God, through Jesus Christ and saving one soul at a time. Amen. But see, that only happens when you are sure, when you know you are child of God and you possess that light within you and then that light could shine into the world and so we as Jesus followers we pray we pray to God to have mercy on this world we pray that he would bless as he sees fits to bless but we don't pray as as a like a, a card-holding member of the world. We don't pray as we belong to some political party or some philosophical um, movements. If you have repented and you have turned to Christ and received him, you are a member of the kingdom of God. 
and he is the king. And as, as that great movie of Monty Python said, you don't vote for a king. Some of you are going to be scratching your head for a while on that, and that's okay. <laughs> and so we pray as members of the kingdom, knowing that in all of this, in all that's happening around us, in all that's broken, in all the pain, that we can still live with a full and complete joy. In fact, a few verses into chapter one of, of the letter that John writes, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. And so next week, we engage this letter and I have no idea how long it's going to take. Um, but I, I have a feeling uh, God is going to uh, work in my heart. And I pray that he works in yours too. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.